Um, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And that's actually Steve Jobs. So I say to the team, there's many different ways to get to the number eight, you know? Um, I call it the George on Seinfeld principle where he goes and does exactly opposite to his first impulse. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. I'm Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to capture and share the tools and techniques of creativity. How are you this morning, Paul? I'm fantastic. It's uh, raining steadily here in uh, Brisbane, Chris. I think El Nino has finally uh, paying dividends. Oh, I hope, I, think, I hope dividends is the right word for it. It's raining here in Sydney as well. And I'm, I'm a sunshine kind of person. So um, I'll be happy when the dams are full and we can return to nice sunny summer weather. Now, today we've got um, an amazing guest, Alicia Olson Keating, who's a uh, a client of mine and a friend of mine. Now, you, you told me that Alicia is at the uh, ABC, but what prompted you to uh, invite her along today, Chris? Yeah, she's a, a client of mine at the ABC, the head of um, audience data and insights. So in theory, somebody who's very analytical, very um, driven by hard, dusty facts. Um, and I began to get a suspicion that she's really quite a creative person you know, through chatting to her at work. But one morning, as you know, I head down to the beach every morning with my camera and take photographs. And one morning in midwinter, it was dark and the sun had just started to come up. I was prowling around on the beach with my camera and there were a couple of figures in wetsuits about to dive into the water. And the, and the way they were kind of splashing the water to kind of brace themselves for this cold impact really caught my eye. And I just said, look, can I get a shot of you as you go into the water? Uh, and they, they said, fine, I've got a shot, which I'm really excited by. And I posted on my, on my Instagram page. Um, and I got an email that, that morning from Alicia. And she said, I think you took a photograph of me this morning. And sure enough, I didn't know she was a local. Um, I didn't know she's a triathlete, which she is, a very successful one. Uh, sure enough, I had indeed taken a photograph of, of Alicia that morning. And it kind of brought us together. I suddenly realized there's a whole lot more to this woman than, I, than I'd ever imagined. It made me much more interested to find out about her. That's why I wanted to get her on the show. Well, that's very serendipitous for us. She's uh, managed up, ended up as a guest on our show. Let's let's get on and get uh, Alicia on. Let's go wait to see what she's got for us. Alicia Olson Keating, um, or AOK, as you sometimes known. Alicia, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here with you. Thank you. And now we, we, this is our first recording of 2021. Um, and we're thrilled that you're kicking us off because um, your job title is the rather grand Head of Audience Data and Insights at the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is a national treasure, I think it's fair to say. And I think if you read the way your job description reads, it sounds like you're, you've got this dry, dusty job of analyzing mountains of data. And you and I know each other. And uh, I know that you're very, the very antithesis of that. So I'd love to hear um, more about how you manage your, your creativity in what sounds like a very dry, dusty job. But, but perhaps you'd kick us off by telling us a bit about yourself, Alicia. Um, uh, how did you come to be in Australia? I know you're Canadian. And what kind of role do you really have at the ABC? 
So uh, yeah, I um, I you're absolutely right. I was born and raised in uh, Toronto, Canada, and I will never forget it. About uh, I guess we're going on for about five and a half years ago. I was um, approached by a recruiter um, saying that I had the perfect profile for a job um, of a client of theirs. When I was approached, they said it was actually Sydney, Australia, and my immediate reaction was no, thank you, and not. Not because of anything other than it just seemed like a world away. At any rate, I offered uh, to at least look at the job description and the profile, what they were looking for with an offer to help them out. Uh, I read 10 pages and my hair stood up because it was basically my job. It had my name written all over it. There you go. Had a quick chat with the partner and made sure things were good with my kids. And they were all open to the opportunity. And we thought, oh, what an adventure. Let's do it. I love the fact that your name is also AOK. I think that's the most interesting acronym we've had on the show. Tell me, how, how has it worked out? That the job description made your hairs stand up on end and seemed like it was sort of yours to do. How has the reality turned up? How has it been? Are you inside? But I know it's a very complex and I imagine very political kind of uh, organization. Yeah, look, my background was in um, uh, the private sector. So I had always worked in commercial media. So there were two different, you know, challenges there. It was one changing countries um, and culture. And the other was um, going to work for a public broadcaster. Well, no one could have prepared me to be honest. Stepping back almost three years in time. First of all, I think because of our Canada's proximity to the US, Netflix had already been in the marketplace for three years. When I first came in November 2015, um, Netflix wasn't even in the marketplace yet. So that didn't happen until March. If you can imagine, I almost had the luxury in a way of seeing the future. So this was a very unique perspective because I understood what search traffic, you know, how search worked and how it drove traffic uh, to new sites. I saw mobile penetration grow in the Canadian marketplace, people disconnecting from traditional television over, you know, OTT services and things like that. So once I hit that uh, almost that three year mark, I used to joke at the ABC saying, oh, now I have no idea what the future is. <laughs> We've all caught up now. No, so um, it was quite interesting. And I, and I think it was um, quite unique as well to change, I think, my hat moving from private to public. Because you're right, there's a different type of scrutiny. There's an investment made by the government into the ABC that's constantly, um, you know, being scrutinized. There's a different kind of pressure versus hitting revenue targets. Uh, there's also that kind of the using the data and the insights to help, which is there's a lot of responsibility behind it around informed decision making and understanding, you know, as you have to invest both in the past and the future because you're having to straddle, you know, the existing world of linear, but you're growing forward into the digital space. So it's um, it comes with some some, I guess, pressure um, and also making sure that we're telling the right stories with the information we have. So creating, taking data and creating information assets that, that sort of are inputs into, into how the future might look. Uh, Alicia, what is, what is, what is your role now? Like we, you know, Chris, I know you sort of, I suppose, described it, but what do you actually do? So as a head of data and insights, so we've actually, our team has three different disciplines. So we've got the insights, we've got primary research, and then I actually, um, we've created an audience data platform. So the data environment. So that's where you've got data scientists, data engineers, um, and kind of solutions. So effectively, what you're trying to do is actually pull your data sources together responsibly, um, making sure that, you know, people's personalities and per, uh, personal information is protected, you know, so we don't use personal information at the ABC um, in a very granular way. 
So there, there's responsibility of that, but then there's also about informing different areas. So understanding, we use our data to better understand our audiences and to better engage with them. So understanding changing landscapes, changing technology, usage platforms, um, need states. You know, we've just come off a, a really challenging year in COVID. So understanding the evolving needs of audiences through crisis, uh, through, you know, bushfires, through um, emergency times, but also um, understanding what type of content they might need to kind of lighten their spirit um, going above and beyond, you know, the information that you're actually providing uh, for survival in some uh, cases. Alicia, so it, yeah. I build your job as looking dry and dusty. And so my, my question is, did I characterize it correctly? And, and would you describe yourself as a creative? Is there a role for creative in a job that appears to be all about analysis and fact-finding rather than expansive thinking? It is not a dry and dusty role by any stretch of the imagination. No, we're forever using creativity. <laughs> um, creativity to me is, is about possibilities. So if you're trying to build a future and understand what is the role of a public broadcaster, I don't see anything more creatively challenging than that. That's about understanding what the possibilities are. That's about uh, solutioning. It's also about finding ways. Imagine, right? The ABC is full of journalists and producers and content makers, right? So how do I take that and information and distill it and, and share it in a way that makes sense to a creative person, right? So I've got to match and I've, I've got to take my level of enthusiasm and passion and in everything that I do. We're, I'm also leading a team. So I want them to, to feel inspired um, by what they're doing. Uh, so I think, you know, to be honest, I've always seen myself as a very highly creative, you know, I've got my really strong analytical side, but I also, that is very much paired with a strong creative um, need and direction, I think, in my life. It's good to hear you say that. <laughs> Uh, Alicia, <laughs> you're speaking my my language. I I consider myself to be both creative and analytical as well. Yeah. I, I'm just interested. You know, as you know, there's a big thing about creativity is fear because we're stepping into the unknown. And you sort of mentioned there that it's about possibilities and you know building a future. Um, do you think it was any different for you in the first three years where you knew what the future looked like? Did <laughs> do you know what you know what the first three years for me were? To be honest, is engaging the team differently, getting them to feel that they can share. You know, I had a radio person analyst sitting beside a television analyst and they didn't share their work. So it was about bringing worlds together um, and trying to remove that fear um, and, and that they could share and that we could be open. The other thing was about building trust. So as much as I came, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, you asked me this question because when I first landed in my chair, um, for those first three to five months, it was very challenging in a way that how do I bring others on the journey with me? How do I engage? There's a lot of stakeholders. So you've got to really build the relationship, the trust and, and bring them on the journey. And I think it took the better part of three years, to be honest, to get to a point where you've kind of, I think, developed that kind of safety net and the understanding and that people weren't afraid of the data. Because some, sometimes data, there's a fear that goes with data where they think it, you know, someone might feel that it's going to be used against them, or it might replace their creative instincts, or that they might be told they have to do something because of what the data says, instead of um, building upon their, their instinct, or maybe finding a way to build a story together, both with that instinct, but also with what, what the data is actually saying. So trusting in, understanding that it actually can help decision making. It can actually help them be stronger in what they're doing. 
and that, that you're not necessarily using it to, to, to replace their experience or to, you know, replace um, certain roles. I mean, obviously in some worlds, you know, when you actually automate data, there are some roles that, that do change, but it creates new roles and new thinking. So there was a lot of work to be done. I think the other part of the first three years was um, getting the ABC um, and individuals to completely understand the audiences in Australia and the changing landscape because technology was changing the way that audiences were engaging with pieces of content. You know, you've got that on-demand growth, right? people being able to choose what they what they watch or listen to when they want and how they want on a time that suits and a device that suits. So there's been a big job about, you know, educating and informing and getting people People aligned. And I always say every organization has their story. So what is that story, right? And the story may have been different. And, and if the story is different, then we can't all align on developing a future together. We need to understand what the ABC story is, and then we need to get people aligned and 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 building it together. That's fascinating, the idea of every organization has a story. I imagine it's, that's a very difficult challenge because not only everybody inside the ABC, but everybody outside the ABC feels they know the organization well. How do you get alignment? How do you get agreement around a story? Uh, I love this. How did you do that? So we've looked at a lot of um, analysis together. And then, you know, corporate strategy team is really strong at the ABC as well. And a lot of work groups and sitting down together. Uh, I think sharing the information frequently, um, the frequency of messaging, but then aligning on because you're, you're kind of, we know who we are today. Who are we in Australians' lives tomorrow? So it's about understanding the role we did play in bushfires. It was a critical role. We have a local footprint across the country with all of our radio markets, for example. So we have this local touch on the ground, you know, opportunity to, to bring people to safety. I just had a, a question to go back to that earlier point you made about that, that three to five years of yeah. your challenge of taking everyone along. You know, that's what you need to do to, to get them to share and build trust. Is there anything specifically that you did that really worked for you in that in that regard? Like, you know, what were some of the things that you did to, to break down those barriers, you know, to get people talking, sharing, trusting? So um, there was an exercise, for example, that um, we had to go through. So the ACCC was doing a, a deep dive around competitive um, neutrality. So we've the ABCs performed quite well in some areas. And so there would be the commercial um, players who maybe will question, what is the ABC doing growing and having such a strong, because you're killing us, you know, this, this kind of um, approach. So I took that. So there was a point at which we had to take 10 years of television data. So television data is minute by minute data. Um, and there's quite a lot of it. So we had to actually provide 10 years of history. So rather than just do that, go through that exercise, I said to the data team, look, let's take that 10 years. What can we do with that? What type of information can we build out? What kind of a view? So we were actually able to build, um, using our data scientists, uh, almost what we call like a scheduling tool. So you have an understanding of what kind of mix of content works well. So if you're constantly having shrinking budgets, whatever content we do invest in, we have to make sure that, you know, we're actually investing in the kind of content that our audiences are number one engaged with, but give us obviously the biggest bang for, for the buck, if, if, as I guess, if you will. And it was really interesting when I started talking about the scheduling tool, you know, marketers got really excited, but boy, if you said that in a meeting, with individuals who are channel managers, 
right away I realized there was some kind of a bit of resistance and understandably because that 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 kind of technology and approach is what I was talking about, you know, sort of balancing between people's knowledge and experience and a tool that's going to help you that's data driven to make better decisions. So I learned very quickly to bring in the scheduling and the, the channel managers into the conversation first. So ha- make bring them along, allow them to give us direction and input as well on what that might look like and, and how that might work. So that was a really good example of making sure that the people you're working with are part of this, that you're not sort of going off in a dark room somewhere, going down a rabbit hole and, and then saying, aha, here it is. I have a tool for you. You'll love it. Um, so, yeah, I think letting them write part of it is a, a really a good way to, um, to bring stakeholders along. I can see what a challenging process that must be because I imagine the channel managers or the people creating programs see themselves as uh, maybe prima donna is the wrong word for it, but they're, they're creatives and they're, they're, they imagine that their instinct on casting and plots and scheduling, whatever, um, would be the ones that matter. And, and there you are saying, no, I can help you. I can guide you. And done rightly, it makes a very powerful combination. And perhaps done wrongly, it looks like a threat to their judgment and their skill and so on. So I, I, I take my hat off to what must be a very delicate, delicate process. Yes, thank you. <laughs> now, we challenged you before this, and you maybe have covered some of this already. We, we said, can you help us out? Give us uh, some answers to some questions. We, we challenged you to come up with a story an idea and a quote that relate to your views on creativity. I'm wondering if you've already heard the story because you mentioned 10 years of data and how, how you use that data in a, in a, uh, in a storytelling kind of way. But um, did, tell us, did, did you manage to find a quote that kind of captured your, your philosophy of creativity? Uh, yes, I did. Boy, it was hard to just narrow down, but this is the one I'm going to go with because I think it's, it, it best sort of in, in encapsulates um, the way I look at things. Um, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And that's actually Steve Jobs um, wow. who said that. And I'm often talking to the team about connecting the dots. And there's different ways you can connect the dot. And depending on how you connect them, the picture can look quite different, right? So I find it's very interesting because, you know, I've even done some of those adult connect the dot you know, drawings. They're quite elaborate. <laughs> And it's interesting to see because you don't know when you start it what the picture is going to look like. And I find that that's always interesting. But one of the things that I keep, I guess, um, talking about the ABC is, you know, you can only build the future by understanding the past. It's very important, especially when you're a heritage or a legacy brand. You really need to understand um, and respect that kind of, you know, rear view mirror, if you will. Am I right in saying that that's, that's where creativity fits in? That you, on the one hand, you need to understand the past, but you can't connect the dots looking forward. And that's the point you need a creative leap or a creative process to go from those backward looking dots to what might happen in the future. Is, is that where creativity fits? Yes, I think so. And it's, there's different possibilities, isn't there, depending on how the dots are joined. And if you missed a couple of important dots, you know, your picture is going to be very different. And so that can that can be a challenge. So, you know, I always I say to the team, there's many different ways to get to the number eight. You know, you can go plus one, you can go plus four. 
there's different ways and you have to understand that. And what I think our job to do is to take all of our experience um, that we have and our understanding of what type of data and information is available and do the best job that we can at bringing the right you know, pieces um, forward. Um, Alicia, you, you mentioned there about picture, drawing a picture. Um, yeah. And this is a little bit off topic and without notice. Do you have a, a creative uh, outlet um, outside of work? Do you- I do. I have a few. So I... Um, so my family and I, we've gotten into this um, habit of uh, when we visit somewhere really special in Australia, we'll actually take it, you know, we take a lot of photos. So we'll come back from the trip and we'll say, pick a photo that you think is beautiful or inspired you in some way. Uh, so example, Uluru. We went to Uluru. So we actually sit down with the canvas and um, our paints and we sit together, you know, I sit with the kids and we work away at it and we really enjoy that. So there's that. I'm also wow. somebody who I like to bake. Uh, quite a bit and the thing and and i i think baking more than cooking because baking is very precise yeah <laughs> no that's baking is very precise um I, look I, I love that thing that you do uh, you know it's interesting you know you say it's very special at the moment if you can travel around australia or anywhere uh yep. but to do a painting you know combined with your with your family uh you know with your kids is is great do you do you see any parallels do you you know like you talked before about getting people to work together um you know is this is this a melting pot at home experimenting with your children uh to (laughs) make the abc work better yeah i think so I've always been somebody who keeps my eyes on the prize. I like the outcome. So whether you're transforming a garden or painting something, um, there's that point at which you look at it and it's finished. And it's it's very rewarding. And, you know, it's not something that you can do all in one moment. You know, there's a time element, I think, to most of the things that, you know, I'm, I like to do. Um, so I'm willing to invest the time, the muscle, whatever it is, the enjoyment, um, the mixing, getting a color wrong, having to fix it. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's, um, I, I like to see a finished product. Fantastic. Um, would you be happy to show us some of your pictures? I sure would. That's <laughs> fantastic. Oh. Yeah. I can't wait. I always imagine you as somebody that really appreciates beauty because uh, apart from being professional contacts with each other, we bumped into each other on a beach early one morning in the half light and it was you that realized that this strange figure behind you on the beach must have been me and I I loved learning that uh, learning about you in that way and that's why I kind of I know that you're a creative even though I've been painting you as a as a (laughs) as an analyst at heart (laughs) but is that true do you think there's a deep sense of beauty in kind of what you the way you see the world oh very much so I've always been someone who, um, you know, we just went backpacking. My 16-year-old wanted um, just uh, her parents, and off we went on a backpacking, um, hiking, camping trip overnight in Maramara. And, um, you know, there was a really nice drizzle coming down, but it's not enough that it, it impacted our views and things. But I am somebody who notices um, the world around me, the sense um, how I feel. I'm very active. We're very, you know, uh, athletic family in triathlon. So triathlons, you know, again, another way of putting different things together. Um, and I, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, you know, it's heightened my love of the outdoors. Definitely love the open water swimming and seeing the sunrise. And yeah, it's, and even if the waves, you know, if it's choppy, I just appreciate and respect whatever moment I'm in, I think. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I love that idea. A nice drizzle. I'm not sure many people describe drizzle as nice, but I, I know what you mean. You get a different light, you get a different vibe when that happens. Yeah. It was it was the day after the 40 degree weather. So, you know, and, and we can only, you know, we're three, we could only carry so much water with us. We were quite grateful. Yeah. 40 degree heat. Now, we all also, you gave us a beautiful quote uh, by Steve Jobs. Yeah. We also challenged you for an idea and a story. Uh, have we covered them already? If not, please share. I'd love to hear what you um, what you came up with on those two. Well, I think my ideas was around the there's many ways to get to eight. Um, there's another one that I have um, that I, I often use in life. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Seinfeld uh, series, but there's yep. uh, there's there's a one here when George on Seinfeld. Um, I call it the George on Seinfeld principle, where he goes and does exactly opposite to his first impulse. <laughs> So whatever his first impulse, there's a there's a whole sort of, you know, um, series around that where he does the exact opposite and he drives a better outcome. So I think what I take from that and sometimes I, I step back from a situation and think about it. Sometimes our gut instinct or if you're quick to react, it's often based on what you know. So you're going to actually repeat a behavior, something that's already ingrained and entrenched. So if you actually think about doing the opposite to what your first instinct might be, it's good because it, it, it it's sort of going to give you, I think, a different lens, a different view. Somebody who's had to learn restraint. And I think that that stepping back and, and doing the opposite of what my first reaction might be is, is maybe helped me a little bit. I, I, I love that. And I don't remember that Seinfeld episode, but there was there's one of the TED speakers, you know, that talks about the psychology of often, you know, uh, an external person actually has a uh, their idea of what we should do is better than our own because of our, our own bias. Um, yeah. But I've actually used that uh, process myself. I have a friend who's always getting in trouble with his wife for, you know, his behavior. So what I say is what, what would whatever he would do, I would I do the opposite. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> So would he go out at 11 o'clock at night, you know, and I go, yes, or I'm not going out, you know. And, it, and it's worked very well for me uh, so far. Uh, so, uh, it's, been, it's fascinating listening to what's clearly a very creative brain at work. I mean, do you, do you, would, how would you describe yourself as a creative? In fact, would you, even inside the ABC, would you, would you risk describing yourself as a creative? And if so, do you have a flavour of creativity that you could bring to life for us? I think I do see myself as creative and I, I don't hide that um, in my personality, but I use my creativity in solutioning, um, which is, and I learned at a very, I'll never forget. I, I can tell you exactly the, the point at which in business, I realized I had a gift of taking a lot of information and, and conflict and discussion going around in circles and actually finding a way to, to sort of hit the message in a more simplistic approach. And um, we were sitting in a boardroom, and I think I was about 27, 26, 27. And the president of the company had asked me to sit in this meeting because we were working, this is in Canada, we were working on our first approach to, you would almost call it market consolidation, but it, but it wasn't. It was a way of taking, so I worked for a radio organization. It was a national sales arm. And rather than just selling 
inventory on our station, we actually reached out to stations we didn't own to partner with us because it was a way of actually going to advertising agencies and clients with a package approach. So it's about us actually saying, you know what, of those whatever GRPs you're going to buy and and spots that you're going to have produced, why don't you give us the lion's share of revenue and we'll actually put together um, a really strong solution for you across multiple stations. And in a way, it kind of took that position away from the agencies, if you will. So we were being more strategic and forming partnerships. So I'll never forget, we're sitting in this boardroom and we had this one um, broadcast owner. I'll just say his first name, Jim. <laughs> okay. The older fella. And he was, look, it, and he loved being dined and danced. And you could tell he he had the position there. Of, These are my stations. Why should I switch to you? Why should you be selling? And I'm sitting, you know, at this table and I'm watching our president do a dance with him and our national our VP of sales. And there was, a, and I mean, we must've been in there an hour and a half longer than we were meant to be. And the conversation just kept going round and round. So I reached into my purse and I pulled out a $20 bill and I pulled out a bunch of change. And I said, excuse me, Jim, now, would you like 18% of this, the $20 bill or 18% of this? <laughs> and the president looked over at me and I remember his, and he just said, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like because at the end of the day that was that was really the the position that we would be giving to him because he could either go at it alone and try to hobble and negotiate or he could come into our package and we'd be able to give him his fair share yeah and, and overall a bigger amount of revenue and it was a bit of a risky moment. They used to say to me, don't tell them the baby's ugly. And, and 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 not that I would ever call anyone's child ugly, but I think I just had a way of cutting through, but then I had to learn to be obviously a little more eloquent. Elijah, I have a confession. I've, 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 I've paraphrased you as the Bluetooth creative. Um, I don't know if you know, the Bluetooth technology is named after, a, I think he was a Viking king, and he had this ability to get warring tribes to talk to each other and collaborate. And I, I, is that, are you happy with that, Monica, a, a Bluetooth creative? You can get sort of people from different, you know, a diplomat in the world of creatives. I think that would be a lovely application of creativity. Does that feel fair? Sure. <laughs> Sure, that's fine. But um, yeah, and I think sometimes, and I've taken that further, is to understand that we all have different brains and we're all wired a bit differently. And I think that's really important. If you can kind of nail down what the purpose is in a creative way, it can, you know, then then you get a stronger engagement. Actually, I think that's uh, that's a fantastic uh, summary of, of where where to get to. You know, a, a point of all this about that clarity uh, and expressing it. You know, I think that is so fantastic. So I think it's about time for us to wrap up if that's a-okay with you <laughs> be so that's cheeky. a-okay with me <laughs> so, so look thanks a lot uh for uh for joining us today on our uh, first episode of uh 2021 uh, season one um thank you so much yes and and so many ways to get to eight um the, the, the bluetooth creative i've learned so much from you thank you very much indeed <laughs> I really appreciate your help and I hope we'll see you winning a triathlon and carrying on bringing warring tribes together. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, having been here. Thank you both.